1: Welcome to the Loblaw Companies Limited 3rd Quarter 2021 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode, and following the presentation, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press Star Zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on November 17, 2021. And I would now like to turn the conference call over to Mr. Roy McDonald. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Great. Thank you very much, Kelsey, and good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Lavala Companies limited third quarter 2021 results conference call. I am joined this morning as usual by Galen Weston, our Chairman and President, and Richard Dufresne, our Chief Financial Officer. And before we begin, I want to remind you that today's discussion will include forward-looking statements which may include but are not limited to statements with respect to Loblaw's anticipated future results and the impact of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. These statements are based on assumptions and reflect management's current expectations. As such, are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results or events to differ materially from our expectations. These risks and uncertainties are discussed in the company's materials filed with the Canadian Securities Regulators. Any forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they're made. The company disclaims any intention or obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, other than what's required by law. Also, certain non-GAAP financial measures may be discussed or referred to today, so please refer to our annual report and other materials filed with the Canadian Securities Regulators for a reconciliation of each of these measures to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measure. And with that, I will turn the call over to Richard.
3: Thank you, Roy. Good morning, everyone. The performance of our third quarter continued the trends of the the last quarter, characterized by a steady improvement across our businesses. Year-over-year comparable numbers do not tell the entire story, given the volatility caused by the pandemic. For that reason, using some two-year average data points help provide further insight into our operating performance. On a consolidated basis, revenue for the third quarter grew by 2.4% to over 16 billion, EBITDA increased by 10.3% to $1.67 billion, and earnings per share grew by 24% to $1.59 a share. On a two-year basis, we saw average annualized growth in revenue of 4.7%, adjusted EBITDA growth of 6.2%, and adjusted earnings per share growth of 14.1%. These results exceeded our financial framework, despite the more moderate sales growth. Our drug retail business delivered most of our sales growth in the quarter. Absolute sales increased 4.7%, reflecting strong RX and growth in all major front store categories, led by cosmetics and OTC. Same store sales and drug retail increased by 4.4% in the third quarter, lapping strong third quarter growth of 6.1% last year. Front store, same store sales were better by 4.1%, While pharmacy same-store sales grew 4.8%, benefiting from a 270% growth in pharmacy services, which includes COVID vaccines, testing, and medication reviews. On a two-year average, drug same-store sales have grown 5.3%, with front store at 3.3% and RX at 7.6%. In food retail, same-store sales improved as the quarter progressed, up 0.2%. Lapping a strong quarter, same-store sales benefited from continuing eat-at-home trends. Our pricing position remains strong, and we are pleased with our market share performance. Eat-at-home trends remain elevated despite the easing of restrictions. Compared to last year's results that were driven by extended lockdowns and few social events or celebrations, this year saw strong sales in the back-to-school season and for Thanksgiving. Halloween was also strong. More generally, entertaining at home is helping drive sales in food retail. On a two-year average, food same store sales reflected average growth of 3.6%. Traffic continued to improve in Q3 and is showing signs of beginning to normalize to pre-pandemic levels. We are paying a lot of attention to cost inflation. In mid summer, inflation materialized in both fresh and grocery. In produce, Prices have remained more or less flat to down as we've been sourcing locally and in the US. Meat prices have gone up but have stabilized recently. Grocery remains the area with the most activity. The number and size of cost increases requested by vendors has been elevated since the summer. Our team uses a thorough process to vet pricing requests. We work hard to negotiate those increases down so that we offer our customers the best value. Our internal measures of inflation are trending slightly higher than CPI. Our online business continued to operate at penetration levels well above pre-COVID rates, albeit lower than the peak of last spring. In Q3, online sales were flat to last year, but we know that last year was up 175% compared to 2019. Online grocery sales in the quarter were down slightly to last year, Online pharmacy continued to grow nicely and covered the slight gap generated by food. Within Grocery, we have a strong and loyal base of online customers, but as lockdowns eased, some customers shifted back to in-store shopping. Online is here to stay. Although penetration in Grocery has eased since the peaks driven by lockdowns, customers expect us to offer a seamless experience, whether in-store or online. We are confident that online will play an important part in the future of our business. Speed and convenience are the way to win, and I'm confident that over time, we'll be able to improve the profitability gap as technology and new way of doing things will reduce the cost structure of this channel. Retail gross margin in Q3 was 30.7%, up 140 basis points compared to last year. Improved merchandising initiatives and traction using our data are key drivers of our margin improvement in food retail. Drug retail margins benefited from improved mix, higher pharmacy services, and a slow return of acute prescription volumes. Pharmacy service growth is driving both margin and SG&A. This category has a high labour component that increases SG&A, but its contribution is in line with the overall EBITDA pharmacy margin. Gross margin in our front-of-store business also improved with a steady recovery in higher margin categories such as beauty and OTC that were negatively affected by COVID lockdowns. Anchoring to 2019, we have recovered from the challenges of last year. Gross margins have improved by 80 basis points with similar improvements in both our food and drug business. This is an improvement over Q2 where our drug business Dragged down our gross margins versus in Q3, where it lifted it. We remain confident about our gross margin performance going forward. Retail sg GNA as a percentage of sales was 20.5%, with the rate higher by 70 basis points compared to last year. The increase was primarily primarily due to a return to normal levels of spend. This, after much lower level last year because of COVID. For example returning pharmacies to their pre-pandemic operating hours, and supporting the growth in Rx services. COVID costs came in at $19 million in the quarter, in line with our expectations. Anchoring to 2019, our Q3 retail sg rate increased by 60 basis points, driven by higher labor costs to support the growth in Rx services, e-commerce, e-commerce fulfillment labor associated with higher digital pr- penetration and COVID costs. Retail EBITDA improved by $149 million in the quarter. At PC Financial, revenue was up $19 million in the quarter, driven by higher interchange income, as we are benefiting from increased spending on PC MasterCard. EBITDA at the bank increased $7 million year over year, primarily driven by favorability in interchange income and lower credit losses, partially offset by higher point costs for redemption and increased marketing spend compared to low spend in the prior year. On a consolidated basis, adjusted EBITDA margin was 10.4% in the quarter, up 70 basis points compared to last year. In the quarter, IFRS net earnings available to common shareholders were $500 million, up 17.6%, and fully diluted earnings per share were $1.59. Consolidated free cash flow was $455 million in the quarter, but retail free cash flow was $498 million in the quarter. In Q3, we repurchased $300 million worth of common shares for a total of a $1 billion year-to-date. So far, we have repurchased 13.6 million common shares. Today, we have announced some details regarding our store network optimization, optimization initiative. We have reviewed our network, of, our network of stores and have finalized plans to address approximately 20 of our most unprofitable stores. In almost all cases, this involves reformatting the store to better serve the local market. Most of these stores will convert to our discount banners. Some will be downsized, but only three will be closed. We expect to record a charge of 25 to $35 million, most of which in Q4. These projects should substantially be completed by the end of next year. We expect to realize approximately $25 million in annualized EBITDA run rate once these projects are completed. We are pleased with our financial performance in the third quarter and year to date. As we approach year end, we have updated our outlook for 2021. We expect EPS for the full year to be up in the low to mid 30% range, excluding the impact of the 53rd week of 2020 and charges associated with our new network optimization initiative. Finally, in the first four weeks of the fourth quarter, COVID-related costs are estimated at $4 million. Q3 demonstrated steady, consistent performance. As we continue our focus on retail execution and maintain our attention on a fewer number of strategic initiatives, we feel our business is well-positioned for the long term. I will now turn the call over to Galen.
4: Thanks, Richard, and good morning. I'm also pleased with blah performance in the third quarter. Sales remained strong while we delivered continued gross margin improvement in both our food and drug businesses. And as we look through the volatility of COVID and consider our results on a two-year basis, the company exceeded its financial framework. With each of our key metrics pointing in the right direction, it's clear that the underlying health of the business, combined with our focus on retail excellence, have positioned us well as the country emerges from the pandemic. This steady return to a new normal is showing up in many ways, Shoppers Drug Mart. At Shoppers Drug Mart, both acute and chronic prescription volumes are returning to our pharmacies as Canadians increasingly access the primary care which they had deferred during the pandemic. At the same time, we are all gathering in larger settings and beginning to return to the workplace, driving helpful tailwinds in beauty and cough and cold. This was accompanied by pent-up enthusiasm for celebrating the holidays such as Thanksgiving, with customers shifting back towards larger turkeys and other entertaining staples. As they did so, our market division focused on retaining the large number of new customers it had attracted over the last 18 months by continuing to offer exceptional products and service. At the same time, our discount business welcomed many of its loyal, value-seeking customers back through its doors, a trend which we expect to continue as inflation is increasingly showing up in many aspects of our lives. As these shifts signal return to many of our customers' pre-pandemic shopping habits, other areas, such as online, suggest a more sustained change in behavior. As Richard mentioned, e-commerce revenue remained flat in the quarter over last year as we held on to the significant gains from 2020. Today, customers are looking for a seamless experience when they shop and PC Express is meeting that expectation by tapping into the best of multiple fulfillment options. We continue to improve the efficiency and accuracy of our in-store picking processes, and are also adding new manual micro-fulfillment centers where it makes sense. This flexible approach has allowed us to evolve with the customer, continuing to serve the strong demand for click and collect, while at the same time addressing the growing interest in delivery. With online penetration now stabilizing higher than pre-pandemic levels, it's clear that e-commerce is here to stay. We remain absolutely committed to its success over the long term, leveraging our existing reach and scale to improve its profitability as we deliver the convenience and flexibility that have proven to be key differentiators with customers. Whether online or in-store, the market will continue to evolve as we emerge from the pandemic. With remote work becoming more prevalent and hybrid models gaining traction, more meals will take place at home. This requires us to think carefully but how we serve Canadians as they spend more time juggling work and family life. As we do so, our conviction around offering choice, convenience, and immediacy is as strong as ever, whether through in-store pickup or delivery. We need to be there for each specific occasion.
1: We'll do this for our customers while thoughtfully managing through the current global supply chain pressure
4: and the resulting inflation with minimal disruption to stores and customers in the fourth quarter. It is this discipline and commitment to serving our customers that will continue to drive long-term value for shareholders. Our strategy remains the right one, and we are accelerating our progress against it, thanks to the hard work of our colleagues. Thank you, and we'll now welcome any questions.
2: Great. Thanks, Kaylin. Kelsey, if you don't mind, could you introduce the q process?
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the 1 on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order that they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press the star followed by the 2. And if you are using a speaker phone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for your first question. Your first question does come from michael van Als from td please go ahead
5: hi good morning um galen i, I think i missed your comment on discount versus conventional so could you start off by just providing a bit more colors to what you saw during the quarter on discount versus conventional and then how it might be changing as the price increase or the price inflation has been ramping up
4: yeah absolutely so so um a return uh, of strength to the to the discount business, um, you know, but we haven't returned all the way to the pre-pandemic normal in terms of mix. And as I mentioned in my, my remarks, our market division has done a terrific job holding on to a substantial portion of those sales gains that it picked up, uh, you know, during COVID. Um, so what we expect is with the continued imp- uh, inflationary pressures, with the continued kind of um, journey to that normal pre-pandemic behavior, we expect the discount business to continue, uh, you know, to build volume and that mix uh, between market and discount to improve in favor of discount.
5: So in the quarter discount did outperform conventional?
6: Uh, not quite,
4: but that's uh, getting close.
5: Okay, but, you, but you're seeing that start, I guess, as, as the inflation picks up by the sounds of it.
4: Yeah, it's basically uh, a trend that's been continuing um, since the opening up of the, of the country, really, in the midsummer. Okay. Now,
5: is there any reason for you to believe that you know we might not go back fully to the pre-pandemic ways or the pre-pandemic mix of discount versus conventional? And and if so, does it make you? rethink already your, you know, the optimization you know, converting 20 stores or up to 20 stores um, from conventional to discount?
4: Well, I think they're two separate questions. So, so first of all, yeah, I think there's reason to believe that the, the return to that discount versus conventional mix might take uh, longer than we initially anticipated. You know, our market division um, invested in price Uh, you know, as you know, during COVID, um, narrowing that price gap differentiation between discount and market. And, you know, we are, um, you know, we're hoping to hang on to as much of that business as we can. It's a a good channel for us. Um, And so, you know, park that and sort of, you know, question yes, Um, you know, we'll try and hold on to as much market business as we can. Um, The 20 stores that we're converting are very specific markets, locations, um, you know, with very specific business cases that are completely uh, uh, disconnected from that macro trend. So, no, we will not rethink um, those conversions.
5: Okay. And you also mentioned that you were pleased with your market share, but it, does that mean that it was flat, up, you know, down less or up?
7: Um,
4: it was good. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Uh, so, would you say that your your market share is similar to where it was pre pandemic? Yes.
7: Okay. All
5: right. All right. I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Your next question comes from Irene Tell from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
8: Thanks and good morning, everyone. I, I, I'm very happy to hear the good is good. <laughs> So, if we could just uh, for a moment talk ab- about inflation, I think uh, you mentioned in the remarks that you saw your internal inflation a little bit higher than CPI. Uh, is that a reflection of MIX or could you just expand on that a-, a little bit and also you know, the trends that you're seeing now and what your anticipation is? Uh,
3: good morning, Irene. Uh- it, inflation is quite volatile right now, as you are probably noticing. So it's, a, it's very tough to, uh, to draw like very precise inference about what, what is going on. And so, uh, so like the key point from our perspective is that we feel our pricing position is very strong. And so that's what we're focused on. And we're managing our business to maintain that pricing position so that we can best serve uh, our customers
8: that's helpful. Thank you. And I think, you know, one of the topics that we, that we discussed is the degree to which consumers who a year ago were not shopping multiple banners were aware of just how strong your price position might be. Uh, as you do your surveys or as you look at consumer behavior now, do you think that you're getting more credit for that strong pricing position?
4: Yeah, I think there's two things going on, and as we've, as we've talked about, we made a series of um, ambitious price investments through COVID, um, but there were there were a whole lot of them, you know, which were probably not well, um, you know, not quite right, you know, over-investing, let's say, in certain areas where we weren't getting the credit, um, you know, and where perhaps it wasn't going to translate into, um, you know, sales growth as we emerged from the pandemic. So. You know that focus on retail excellence um, you know has included looking with a lot of detail and precision into those invest investments and making adjustments you know where appropriate in other words um, you know uh, uh, raising prices on certain items uh, where we felt we're not getting credit and that's part of what's been going on um, you know when you look at our um, you know performance relative to, uh, to CPI inflation um, it's partly that Set of adjustments, and Richard's point is a is a really critical one, which is when we look uh, at that on a macro basis, we're really pleased with our continued price position relative to our competitors, and also very pleased with the market share performance that we've seen, um, you know, really over the last six months.
8: That's really helpful. Thank you. And just continuing on the subject of retail excellence, you know, certainly the gross margin gains, impressive, you know, you're doing a good job on the cost side. You know, if we look at it sort of from zero to 100 or innings or however you want to think about it, where do you think we are on this journey? And, and how much more do you think is in the tank?
3: uh we're 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 beginning okay we've just been back uh the the three of us for six months so uh so uh we're working hard to 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 get this going more and uh
8: stay tuned okay and then just one final one if i might on shoppers if we look at both uh, rx and uh front of store how close are we to where we would have been pre pandemic, and uh what are you seeing the trends look like in q four particularly early vaccination and you know and and the rest
3: yeah we're we're recovering, but we're not fully recovered yet uh I think we've got ways to go, and uh it's tough to predict like it like we're seeing it happen at the same time as you. So uh so but uh, we still have, we still have ways to go but we like we like the trajectory we're on right now. And obviously like uh all pharmacy services have grown significantly especially since the summer and uh and so that's that, that's helping and uh, we're awaiting what what else is going to come out over the coming months on, on that front also.
8: That's great. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mark Petrie from CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Yeah, good morning. Um, just with regards to your renewed efforts on discipline and execution, um, you know, I appreciate that this cuts across most aspects of the operations, be it sort of supply chain, procurement shrink, et cetera. But can you just discuss where you think you've made the most progress so far and what areas present the greatest opportunity for next year? yeah,
4: so maybe start with uh, with a, dis- a more disciplined approach to uh, to pricing and promotion. Um, so feeling really confident about that. Um, as Richard touched on, you know you've you've heard we've done a full network review um, in terms of the performance of our of our assets, and we've made a series of decisive um, uh, choices around uh, banner conversions, and you're you're seeing, we call it the first wave of that it's worth noting that you know in that entire review um, you know we're only closing three stores uh, which you know I think is a is a vote of confidence in the, in the robustness of our network um, procurement is always uh, you know a, a, an important area of opportunity for us um, and uh, you know we're going to continue to work hard on that especially in the context of um, this inflationary pressure Uh, you know, really trying to make sure that we are, um, that we're taking the cost increases that are justified, um, you know, but that we're not doing it um, if they're unjustified or in a way that is detrimental uh, to the customer experience.
3: Yeah, and Mark, I would add one more thing is like uh, we're getting better at using data, like, and it's starting to make a difference. So it's it's translating in the in more uh, more effective uh, promotion, promotional strategy that are driving both sales and margins. So that's probably something that we've noticed uh, that made a difference over the last six months. Okay,
7: helpful. And Galen, you mentioned this is sort of you know phase one of of a network review. What would further reviews potentially entail? Is that mostly uh, additional conversions or sort of adjusting footprint, or what would that what would that look like?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing um, super fancy. It's the usual stuff, making sure that we have the right um, format in the right location, making sure that we're understanding uh, areas to add new square footage. I think we mentioned um, in the last quarter that we are looking at opportunities to put new stores in, uh, in markets where we have low penetration and they have strong population growth. Um, so it, it's that, um, you know, a lot more attention, um, to be paid to the physical fleet, um, you know, as part of the way that we allocate capital uh, across the business. Um, but think about it all as, you know, enhancements and optimizations as opposed to, uh, you know, a substantial shift in uh, in strategy. Understood.
7: Uh, and, and when it comes to the earnings growth framework, uh, obviously, you've outperformed material, materially this year, lapping a weaker... 2020, but even on a two-year basis, uh, it's still, you know, well above the sort of eight to ten percent range you've discussed previously. So I guess first question: Do you attribute that more to sort of your retail excellence efforts, or to the higher consumer demand uh, that sort of stemmed from the pandemic? And then, and then second, assuming that consumers continue to sort of slowly shift back to sort of pre-pandemic levels of demand. Do you think you can exceed that range again in in 2022, driven by your optimization efforts?
4: Yeah, so let let, let me start, and then I'll ask Richard just to comment um, on our outlook. And I'm sure you know what he, what he's going he's going to say. Um, so, you know, I think we've been um, you know fairly transparent about what we felt was underperformance, um, you know, in the particularly in the earnings range in the business in 2020. Um, And so, you know, what are we doing in 2021? Uh, You know, we're sort of bringing that uh, sort of performance level back into balance. Um, And with sales growth rates, you know, well above normal, we should expect a retail uh, grocery business to deliver earnings results that are well above normal. Um, And that's, I think, a reflection of what you're seeing. And the two-year numbers, I think, are indicative of us you know, starting to perform at a level that's commensurate with what uh, is appropriate for the business. Um, In terms of, you know, the long-term trajectory for for business performance, we have affirmed our our, uh, commitment to our financial framework. And that, I think, is the right way to think about it. Richard, I don't know if you want to comment on um, 2023. No, no, I'm not
3: going to comment on 2022. We'll give, give you some uh, perspective on that next time we uh, next time we meet. But we gave you uh, an update on, on Q4. And, uh, and uh, so we feel good about that outlook.
7: Okay. I appreciate all the comments and all the best.
1: Thank you. Your next question comes from Patricia Baker from Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
9: Oh, thank you very much, and good morning, everyone. I have a couple of questions. First of all, uh, Richard Galen, what have you been seeing in terms of any supply chain uh, disruption, uh, any issues with availability in certain categories?
4: Yeah, so so let me speak to that in two parts, Patricia. I mean, first there are there's the domestic and North American supply. So think about it as the the bulk of, of the center of store um, and uh, you know, the key items in, in, on the perimeter in fresh. Um, there is meaningful commodity price pressure, as you know, you're reading about, you've heard about uh, you know, from, from us and, and others. Um, and then there, there's labor supply pressure. Um, those two things are, are making it, uh, are creating substantial challenges for our manufacturing base, uh, you know, for our vendors. That is putting pressure on availability. Um, particularly around what we would call the peripheral SKUs, so you know, kind of secondary sizes, secondary flavors, um, and what you see is uh, the manufacturers consolidating their production uh, into their highest volume SKUs and putting those secondary SKUs on allocation. Um, and so, what what customers, this is an industry wide, uh, you know, thing. What customers mm-hmm. will be frustrated, you know, to see is something's in stock, um, you know, for a week. And then it's out of stock you know for four or five weeks Then it comes in stock again and then it goes out that's really the consequence of this allocation approach um, that is being undertaken by many of the vendors so we need to work hard to make sure that we're getting our share of the allocation and we think that we are mm-hmm. we expect to see that um, you know level of call it instability continue for a few more quarters um, you know and, and then we'll have to see the second um you know is the global um, supply chain pressure, um, and for us, think about that as disproportionately impacting um, our general merchandise business, our apparel, and any uh, you know food products that we might be importing uh, you know from offshore. There's uh, you know an, an impact um, you know that we're managing very very carefully. There, it's not easy, um, but the teams have been managing through it extremely well, and. Uh, it's important to distinguish that you know between the northwestern ports um, in North America versus the southwestern ports. Those northwestern ports have, over the last number of months, been performing substantially better than the southwestern ports, and so the Canadian um, you know offshore supply chain is has not been as disrupted as a result of that as uh, as it has perhaps in the in the U.S. Um, you know, we'll have to see. You know, given what's happened in British Columbia uh, with weather over the last couple of, uh, of days, whether you know that has a- any kind of incremental disruption. We suspect it will, but but only for a limited uh, a limited time. Um, and so the net net of it is, as we head into Christmas, um, when it comes to all of our seasonal programs, you know, we feel very well positioned. We feel the stores are or the stores are in terrific shape and, and ready for the fourth quarter surge.
9: Okay, that's, that's great to hear. And then secondly, I'd like to ask Richard uh, about the gross margin. So thank you for giving us, I think you gave four or five drivers of the year-on-year, 140 basis points, strong improvement in the gross margin. And you noticed that the gross margin was up a nice 80, 80 basis points versus 2019. Just two things there Are it is it the same factors uh, you know, driving that 80 basis point improvement, and could you rank order them? But well,
3: the way to think about it, uh, Patricia, is, uh, is essentially the shopper's business margin has improved in this quarter because mm-hmm. the higher-growing categories, the higher-margin higher categories have sold more like OTC and pharmacy, so therefore, gross margin has, uh, of shoppers has improved, and that's why our overall gross margin has improved. It's simple so that would that. be
9: the biggest driver. Okay, excellent. And then uh, my my. Third question is on the network optimization that we referred to, and and perhaps this is more uh, color than you choose to, to share. But the 20 stores that are subject to this first uh, first phase of the optimization, is there any banner or regional uh, concentration with respect to the stores that have been subject to these shifts?
3: No, it's all uh, it's all across the country, uh, Patricia.
9: Okay, and my final and last question, and it's it's, I guess it's a question and it's a comment. So you indicated that the your basket inflation was slightly ahead of CPI. And, you know, some quarters you'll, you'll uh, you know, uh, tease us with a number and some quarters you won't. Um, so just curious why we're back to the, the, uh, the uh, nuanced uh, verbiage as opposed to actually giving us the inflation number.
3: No, I think uh, when we were looking at all, all these, the inflation metrics we tracked, like, uh, it was very hard to draw any, anything from it because it's been so volatile. So uh, we mm-hmm. thought it'd be a, a more accurate description of what's going on to just talk to it.
9: Okay. Okay. Which CPI number are you talking about then, Richard? Are you talking about CPI food at home or are you talking about a broader yeah. CPI number?
3: Yeah, we look at CPI, food, and uh, but we have our own internal metrics. We look at Nielsen. We look at a bunch of metrics, and so uh, so uh, so th- those are the ones we uh, focus on. Okay,
9: thank you.
1: Thank you. Your next question comes from Kenrick Tai from ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
10: Thank you. And good morning, uh, Galen, You touched on the trade down in response to inflation from from market to discount, which which is. Know, typical in a sort of the, the first wave response by consumers. But could you speak to just in the context of your loyalty journey uh, on the potential sort of substitution in that second wave within, the, within stores and within each specific uh, channel and how well positioned you are, you think you are and will be uh, should the spike in inflation prove both protracted and as pronounced as it's looking, uh, you know, relative to where you've been in the past?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it is a tricky time, and, and Richard's you know, touched on it as well. You've got two things happening. You have this um, end of COVID, which is um, you know, we're coming out of it, let's just say more slowly than we anticipated um, a couple of quarters ago. Um, and, and that means that customers are spending more money in stores, they're returning to discount at a slightly slower pace um, you know than we than we expected Um, all of that uh, you know we've we've tried to talk to Um, then you layer on um, you know this very recent uh, you know acceleration in inflation rates and the lack of predictability um, in what inflation is going to look like in the coming months and quarters and it gets very very difficult um, you know to Call it navigate or to identify any, um, you know, sustained trends at this point. There's just too much, um, you know, all converging at the same time. Having said that, um, you know, we are, we have seen a return to promotional sensitivity um, of of significance. We are seeing a change in customers shopping more often in our discount businesses. And when, and we are seeing um, the uh, one to one marketing tools, um, promotional tools that are being deployed across the business performing much better today than they were um, in a, an environment there when there was very little price sensitivity. Okay? In, in other words, COVID. So uh, you know, our strategy would indicate um, that we are more able to deploy promotions against specific price sensitive customers with specific price-sensitive items than we would have been the last time uh, you know, we had this kind of inflation. So it bodes well, um, but we don't have any meaningful underlying data um, you know, at, at this point that we can build that case on.
10: Great, Keller, thanks, Galen. Just one more for me quickly. On your beauty business, you know, how, how much of that was a natural lift on a return to, to normal? Uh, versus you know promotional driven in other words, was there perhaps uh you know margin that you had to invest uh, in in beauty to drive that change, and then any color insight you're willing to give with respect to you know where beauty you know is today versus where it was, and if we can't get into anything there, perhaps even just some perspective on where your share in mass and prestige you know sort of are today versus where they were, and how to think about the sort of continued potential evolution or ramp of that business. Or yeah,
4: know. So, yeah, I think it's it's fairly simple. So um, this is a, uh, a, a natural return, um, you know, to beauty that is coming as our customers spend more time going out. So that, that I think is, is the first thing. Second, if you look at um, beauty, it was a contracted market um, during COVID because people weren't going out and because many of the of our competitors in beauty were closed during lockdowns Um, that accrued substantial market share gain you know to us because we had the good fortune of being open um, but there was a lot less sales so our objective is to try and hang on to as much of that share um, as we can as you know those um, you know retail competitors open and you know we've been very
7: pleased i would say with the results so far but it is early Thank you. I'll leave it there.
1: Thank you. Your next question comes from Karen Shore from Barclays Capital. Please go ahead.
0: Hi. Thanks very much. Um, Just a couple questions on the competitive landscape. Um, So Your bigger box competitor commented several times yesterday on strength um, in Canada. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of the competitive landscape in the context of their comments um, you know, in conjunction with your comments on return of strength and discount. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask is just what your perspective is on the health of the Canadian consumer going into 2022 as we lap, or as they lap um, stimulus general, general benefits. And then I had one other question.
4: Yeah so um, i think probably the best way to answer the question about competitiveness it's very competitive here um, you know but as richard mentioned we feel good about our uh, price position we feel good about our market share performance and you know that was an issue for us you know last year and so when we we're not giving you the numbers but when we say we feel good about it it's because we feel good about it um and uh and you know but we we have been um i don't want to say uh, surprised uh, but i think we would have expected our discount business um you know to uh drive stronger sales performance at this point in time you know than uh than perhaps it is but that's been offset by you know us expecting to have seen less strong performance in our market division over that period and we've been very you know happy with that Um, you know so we watch those other big box retailers Um, we read their results very carefully as well um, and are you know focused on them and you know are going to make sure that uh, you know there's nothing that they are doing um, that would see them pull away from us um, in that sector you know we lead the discount market in this country and it's our intent you know to continue to do so Um, in terms of the health of the consumer (coughs) Um, you know lots being written about that um, i think they can provide a tiny bit of color based on um, our credit card so we are seeing our uh, you know a return to spending on the credit card that's nearing pre-pandemic levels what we're not seeing um, is a return to balances at anywhere near the same rate so that i think suggests um, it's just one data point of many that you could pick up across the economy that the consumer balance sheet is in pretty good uh, in a pretty good state.
0: Okay, that's helpful. And then just in terms of the Ontario minimum wage um, announcement, obviously, the last time this happened, it was a big problem for all retailers, and it resulted in significant margin erosion. Maybe just a little context on how you're viewing. Uh, the most recent announcement on minimum wage.
3: Yeah, when uh, when we look at minimum wage uh, for 22, we think uh, we think we're going to be able to absorb it with our, within our budget for next year.
0: So you would not raise prices to offset the cost increase?
3: We do, like it's definitely not as significant as what we felt a few years back. So therefore, we think we're going to be able to just absorb it and be able to focus on delivering our financial framework
1: thank you thank you your next question comes from Peter Sklar from BMO Capital please go ahead Uh, good
6: morning I have a couple of questions about um, online Um, the first one is when you talk about your year-over-year improvement in your overall results you haven't mentioned online and as I recall you know during last year during the the COVID bubble you know when You know when the online demand was just skyrocketing, you really had to throw resources on it at it in a very inefficient way. And I I think you've articulated that online cost you 200 million last year. So I would have thought it would be quite a bit better this year as things moderated and you could take a you know a more um, structured approach to it and not just throwing labor at the problem. So can you talk a little bit about the performance of your online? This year versus last year
4: from a financial perspective. Yeah, I mean, from a starting point, I think uh, we both mentioned that e-commerce volume was essentially flat um, or was flat really in the in the quarter versus last year. Um, there was a, a there has been a slight pullback on um, grocery e-commerce, and um, you know both that and the fact that we were lapping um, you know that significant ramping up and acceleration of costs um, has e-commerce. You know, call it being a, a positive contributor to our financial performance in the quarter. Um, a little bit of a of a tailwind as opposed to a meaningful headwind um, in the in at this time last year. Um, that's not the way to look at um, e-commerce and its impact on our p over the long term, you know, we expect it to be a headwind um, as we return to normal growth rates in e-commerce. But of course, you know, our objective is to offset those headwinds, um, you know, within the e-commerce strategy itself um, and through other, um, you know, undertakings, uh, you know, in in the business. So you know what those are, we don't need to improve uh, pick efficiency. Um, you know, primarily, and then, uh, you know, we see opportunity to offset, you know, those, uh, the cost of fulfillment through our, the growth in our media business as well.
6: And Galen, when you say it was a positive contributor this quarter year over year, I assume that means less loss. It's not like the e-commerce business is anywhere near approaching profitability. Is that the way to think about your comment?
3: Yes, but I think the key point I would add to that, Peter, is essentially with the, the lower penetration rate, the big driver of cost is, is labor. And so the labor component of those sales has, has gone down because we don't need as many pickers as we had in the rest of the quarter. So that, in that context, that's 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 what's happening.
6: Okay. Um, and then the other question I had on your e-commerce business, um, as you know, you're home delivery is mostly focused around Instacart. Um, Instacart, I think, can be an expensive proposition for the consumer. Is that going to be your long-term solution for home delivery, or do you anticipate that Loblaw will develop its own, you know, in-house proprietary home delivery option for consumers?
4: Yeah, so we have our own um, PC Express delivery channel. Um and it has full coverage in uh in the city of Toronto now and you should expect to see increased an increasing amount of coverage for what we call PCXD um, in the key urban centers across the country where we see um you know the, the, the largest opportunity for um for demand in delivery. Okay. Um that's all I have. Thank you.
11: Thanks.
1: Thank you. Your next question comes from Vishal Sridhar from National Bank. Please go ahead.
11: Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Um, in light of your announcements on um, network optimization and um, commentary on, on future network optimization, wondering if you can give us perspective on real estate growth for uh, for the year ahead. If that's going to turn, uh, if that's going to go positive, or should we expect a flash to negative years?
3: Well, as, as as we've said, Vishal, essentially the way to think about this is we focused on our 20 most unprofitable stores. So as we deal with those stores, we're going to deal with this unprofitability and actually turn it into a into a into a, a, a profitable uh, initiative. And once it's all said and done, we expect a $25 million EBITDA improvement to our business. Sure. Um,
11: yeah. Is there any way that uh, uh, we should think about real estate growth and, and uh, your aspirations to, uh, to expand your network and grow stores, uh, particularly in light of, of strong demand?
3: Yes, yes. As we, as we said last quarter, opening new stores is going to be part of our strategy, but to build the pipeline of new stores takes time. So you're probably, probably going to see more, I guess, traction of that initiative 18 to 24 months down the road.
11: Um, I just want to switch gears back to e-commerce, if that's okay. Um, obviously, e-commerce and grocery—it's—it's it's relatively nascent at this point. I'm wondering if you can comment on customer satisfaction associated with e-commerce. Is it trending favorably, and is—is is it at a level of performance which you deem to be appropriate?
4: Um, so yes, and yes. So, so um, you know our focus in. 2021 uh, has been really improving the fundamental value proposition of our existing um, e-commerce uh, offer, and we've seen substantial improvements in the key areas that we've been targeting, uh, you know, over the last you know, six months. That includes reducing wait times, it includes, um, you know, pick accuracy, pick efficiency, uh, making sure that people are getting everything that they ordered all of which uh, has been trending substantially in the right direction Um, and you know we're very happy with our nps um, and customer sat scores for our e-commerce business at this moment Um, but we always want it to be better and you know we continue to see opportunities and we are continuing to deploy technology enhancements and solutions to drive um, that nps up you know the second focus and call it the last uh you know uh, a few months um, and the last quarter and a half of the year has been on um, you know standing up the uh, delivery channel that pairs very nicely um, you know with PCX um, uh, in-store pickup and um, we've been really happy with the trajectory of, of that business too it's it's call it running slightly behind um, from uh, an NPS perspective um, but we're we're, uh, we're we're comfortable that we'll get that into the right place in short order as well
11: Okay. And um I, I think uh, in the prepared remarks I heard management comment that they're planning to open new manu- manual manual uh, pick uh, fulfillment centers. I was surprised at uh at the option for the manual pick. Um so maybe you can provide some color on that. Why not why not an automated pick fulfillment center given that labor is the most uh the, the highest cost. And can you um I presume one of the highest costs and can you also give us commentary on if you have line of sight of technologies that will reduce costs in the future?
2: Yeah, so uh, I think we have, we have talked
4: a little bit about this um, in previous quarters. Um, so absolutely, you know, pick efficiency is one of the big uh, drivers to improve economics. Um, there are multiple ways, uh, you know, to improve pick efficiency and we are pursuing them all. Um, one of them is standing up dedicated call it call it dark store facilities um, You know that can get our uh, pick efficiency items per hour, um, you know, well up into the kind of the 200 level um, and manual facilities are much quicker to build um, and uh, and um, and so that's where we're focused uh, at the moment um, you know, we have a, an automated facility. We're in partnership with a company called Takeoff. Um, you know, we're still working learning, um, you know, to understand the best ways to optimize that facility. We don't yet think that um, manual or that, um, that uh, automated fulfillment in micro fulfillment centers is quite ready, uh, you know, for prime time. Um, so you're not going to see us announce um you know a wave of, of of robot facilities you know going out in the next you know number of months um but we are certain that that technology will um you know come right at some point and you know we are very very close to the to to that technology and we'll deploy it when we're confident about
11: its effectiveness thanks for the comment.
1: thank you your next question comes from Chris Lee from Desjardins. Please go ahead.
12: Hi, right, good morning. Um, first question is um, uh, for the three billion dollars of e-commerce sales that you're on track to achieve this year, just wondering if you can share with us sort of the breakdown between grocery and non-grocery.
3: We'll uh, we'll share that with you uh, when we when we finish the year.
12: Okay. Okay. That that's fair. And. Another one just on e-commerce, maybe on Labla Media, just wondering you know, how long would it take before it becomes a more meaningful contributor that will help you start offset some of the online uh, fulfillment costs?
4: Yeah, th- think about it as um, you know, moving forward at, uh, on a very satisfactory trajectory. Um, and you know, that means growing fast, but still not small. I'm sorry, <laughs> growing fast but still small, um, and uh, an expectation you know that it'll be a big contributor. You know, I'm not going to say exactly when, but you know, certainly over the next couple of years.
12: Okay, that's helpful. And maybe just a few quick ones on on capital allocation. Uh, first one: um, Do you expect the level of capex for next year to be similar to this year?
3: Yeah, right now, yes.
12: Okay. And then in terms of share buyback, I mean, you guys have been very consistent buying back, I think roughly about billion dollars worth of shares every year in the last few years. Again, do you expect a similar level for, for next year? Yes. Um, and then just in terms of M&A opportunities, are there any attractive ones that um, might be appealing to you?
3: No, nothing of scale. We're always looking at at opportunities no? if they become available and uh, so so, but right now, uh, nothing, nothing on the radar.
12: Okay. And this last one is, I know you guys uh, publish uh, a return on invested capital number every quarter. Just wondering, I'm sure you have a target internally. Um, are you willing to kind of share with us what you sort of a long-term sustainable role target would be?
3: Would yeah, we'll, we'll we'll share that with you when we when we come back with our outlook for uh, for 2022.
12: Okay, great. And all the best in the holiday season. Thanks.
1: Thank you. And your last question comes from Patricia Baker from Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
9: Oh, thank you very, mu- very much for letting me do a, a follow-up call. So in your discussion of uh, operational ex- excellence and, and, and retail excellence, uh, you noticed that you're getting better at using uh, data, and that's pretty obvious uh, given the results that you've shown me this, this quarter and last quarter. I'm just curious, what can you share with us? What did you do to get better at using the data? Was it hiring different people? Was it different processes? What was the secret sauce there?
4: Yeah, so I'd say two things. Um, First and foremost, focus on, you know, just a very short list of, call it tools, um, that have a very measurable targeted uh, benefit and impact if deployed correctly. So instead of trying to make 10 tools work, um, you know, across a million dollars of sales each, we want to make two tools work across hundreds of millions of dollars of sales each, and that's you know how you start to scale the impact um, of these um, of this analytical capability. Second thing, um, you know, which we can take less credit for in terms of the change, is that these algorithms are designed, um, you know, to understand price sensitivity in the minds of individual customers. And if you go through a period where there is no price sensitivity, which is what COVID (laughs) does, then those algorithms don't function all that well. And that's changed. Mm
9: -hmm. Okay. That's very helpful,
1: Gaylin. There are no further questions at this time. You may please proceed.
2: Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for your time this morning. If you have any follow-up questions, uh, drop me uh, an email or give me a call. And uh, circle your calendars for February 24th when we'll be back online to talk about our Q4 and full year 21 operating results. Thanks and have a great day.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you very much for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.